It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, March 29th, 2012. Thank you for joining us on tonight's program. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. We're looking forward to a good discussion on the Virtual Bible Study. We always appreciate the opportunity to get together over the Internet with uh, various ones interested in Bible study and really uh, from all all different parts. We've got uh, uh, Henry P. Who's, who's actually Chris. Who is actually Chris. We're going to deal with a question he asked tonight. He's, he's joining us from Cornwall in the United Kingdom. says it's almost 2 Well, it is right now, 2 o'clock in the morning over there. So, Chris, we're glad you're listening, and we'll, we'll talk about your question here in a minute. We Thanks. have Sharon from South Carolina, John from Oklahoma, and uh, T.N. Bob, I assume, is Tennessee Bob from somewhere in Tennessee. So uh, we're spread out tonight. Yeah, we got a, a number of different locations represented. Uh, we're always interested in that. If you are listening uh, uh, and we don't know you or don't know where you're from, put in the chat room where you're listening from. We, we enjoy getting that information. And we maybe have uh, some listeners from around the world listening to us uh, tonight and maybe even in the recorded podcast version. If you would let us know where you're listening, whether you're listening live or in the podcast, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And we're going to deal with some of those emails on the program tonight. Uh, one of those uh, programs that I enjoy uh sort of attention deficit disorder friendly tonight. Yeah, because we're going to deal with listener questions that have been sent in to us over the last several weeks. Uh, We save these up and then try to cover a number of them together uh, on a program such as tonight. If if it's such a question that we don't think we could probably devote a a whole hour to it, we put several of them together and use those to cover an hour's worth of time. So we've got some questions, Jacob. I sent them out earlier today to our... Uh, update list and always remind you you can get on that list by sending us a, uh, an email to questions at collegeview.com just say add me to the list we'll do that and on Thursday you'll get a heads up about what we're going to be talking about on the virtual Bible study and I sent out these questions earlier today we're getting, we've gotten minimal feedback so the chat room is going to have to be busy tonight because uh, not many took the opportunity to email us uh, and so you're going to have to talk in the chat room here are the questions. We've got five, and hopefully we can get to them all tonight, from Debbie. Debbie has a question about anointing with oil, as James five fourteen through 16 says. Uh, let me give you the full uh, email she sent me. Why doesn't the Church of Christ do what James says? My husband has a brain tumor, and I want the elders to do this, but cannot find any in the Church of Christ who do that. I don't understand. It's pretty plain what we're to do. And then she quotes James 5, verses 14 and 15. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if he committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. She says, would really appreciate your help with this. All so right. That's the question from Debbie. Should we're, we anoint with oil today? Yeah, we're going to go to I've known that. of uh, at least one individual who believed you should and what actively did it. Okay. Should we do that? Today? All right. We're going to get to that one first. That's right off the top. Uh, give you just a little bit of heads up, and we'll go into more detail with these other questions as we get to them. From Wade, he asked a question about missing services for sporting events. He says, a question has come up about skipping worship services to go to a high school sporting event. Apparently, there are different views that are held by faithful brethren. I would like a good discussion to be able to get all sides. Yep. From Chris in the U.K., who's listening tonight. And, yeah, he wants to hear, I think he wants to talk about his question, but it's 2 o'clock in the morning in the United Kingdom, so... Hopefully Chris can last. Till yeah, I hope he, yeah. Uh, and, and this is just a little bit of a teaser from it. We'll read his whole question when we get to it. But he said, should, a, should there be a separation between church and state? Do we really know what persecution is? Surely it's more than just your life being inconvenienced. Would we be prepared to die for our faith? We'll give you more details on his question when we get to it. But that's the gist of it. From Vernon, 
a question I had never, I don't think I ever heard it before. He, yeah. he asked, has God already created all souls that will be given to all people yet to be born, or are they created at the time of conception? Interesting. Uh, we, may be, we may have a pretty short answer to that one. I don't know. Yeah. And then from Rex about falling from grace, he, he had a longer email, and uh, but here's the gist of it. Could you address Galatians 5, 4, which speaks about falling from grace? You mentioned it, but it seems to me your interpretation of it might be wrong. I believe Galatians 5, 4 is describing men who had not yet found peace with God by faith in Christ Jesus alone. Oh, that would be a good question. All right, so we'll try to get to that. All right, we're looking forward to your answers to these questions, and uh, we might be able to slide in a question from you as well. If you've got a question about any Bible subject, why not send it in tonight? We'll try and squeeze it in. If we can't, we can include it in a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study, which we do this again. We do this on a regular basis, and so... Uh, we'll welcome your question. Hopefully we can get to it tonight as well. 877-381-4567 is the toll-free number to use tonight. The line is open. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, or we'd like to hear from you in the email inbox, questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room to the right of your viewing window is open, and several listeners are signed in there. If you're not signed in, it's very simple to do. Follow the instructions at the bottom of your chat window. No personal information is required, and you can join in the discussion there. All right, so Debbie has a question. She says she can't find any elders in the Church of Christ who will do what James 5, verses 15 and 16 say ought to be done. She's got a sick husband, very sick, got a tumor, brain tumor. She wants someone to anoint him with oil. James chapter 5, verse 14. Wait, wait. I want you to go back to verse 13. Back to verse 13. Yeah, let's read 13 through 20. Okay. Oh, you want me to read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh okay. Well, I can't. No, I'll read it. I'm okay. All right. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any among you uh, any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. All right. Uh, Let me walk us through this text, Jacob, because I... Here, here's my bottom line explanation. This verse is talking about spiritual matters, not physical matters. And I believe that the sickness that's under consideration is a spiritual sickness or weakness, not a physical infirmity. Yeah. And here's the reason why I would come to that conclusion. Notice the activities that are discussed in the context you just read, beginning at verse 13 and going all the way through verse 20. At verse 13, are you afflicted? What do you do? What what do you do for this affliction? You pray. Are you merry? What do you do? You sing psalms. All okay. right. So I think those are spiritual activities. Prayer, singing psalms. Then it talks about calling for the elders to anoint with oil. Hold on. That's what we're trying to figure out. Skip down to verse 16. Confess your faults. Pray for one another. Uh, verse 19. Convert the sinner from the error of his way. So we're still trying to figure out what is this activity about the anointing of oil. But it's it's sandwiched in between activities that I think are clearly spiritual uh, in nature. Right. Then, uh, notice the results that are promised. The, the, the promised results are uh, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. All right. So, uh, what about that? If he, it goes on and says, if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Um Verse 16 says, he will be healed. Uh, and it goes on to say, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 20 says, you'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. I think that the results that are promised in that context around the verses in question, I'm not talking about the verses in question yet. The verses in question are 15 and, and uh, 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 verse 14 and verse 15. I'm not talking about those verses yet, but I'm saying that the context. the context, both before and after the verses in question, talk about spiritual activities that promise spiritual results. Okay, Un- unconditional results, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, notice that we're supposed to call for the elders, and the elders, what are they going to do? Uh, 
they're going to pray and uh, he's sick. The question is, what kind of sickness? Verse 14, what kind of sickness is it? It's a sickness for which he calls the elders. They pray over him. They anoint him with oil. I believe that those are spiritual activities. I think the, the anointing with oil is used figuratively here to talk about providing a blessing. You know, in Old Testament times and even in New Testament times, we read about the use of anointing oil to confer a blessing right. on someone. Right. So I think that what the elders are, are being called to do is offer a spiritual blessing for the person. And the result is the prayer, verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. What's his sickness? His sickness is a spiritual weakness that he's suffering. Mm-hmm. He's, 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 he's agonizing. He's under trial and affliction spiritually. He calls for the elders. They confer, they pray for him and confer a blessing upon him. And the prayer of faith raises him up. Uh, it's a hundred percent success rate guaranteed, as you were saying. Now, you know, we can't guarantee those kind of results on a physical ailment, but we can guarantee those kind of results for a spiritual ailment. Right. And it goes on to say in verse 15, if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. If he's committed sins. In other words, this is, this is a spiritual weakness that this person is feeling. Here I am, and I'm real troubled. I'm having lots of issues spiritually. I haven't fallen into sin yet, but, man, I'm, I'm really tr- under a strict a trial. What do I do? I call for the elders. They pray over me. They pray with me. They, they confer a blessing upon me. And, and, I, and, and the promised result is that I will be raised up from this spiritual point of weakness that I've been in. Guaranteed results. And if, it doesn't say I will have my sins forgiven. It says if I have sinned, my sins will be forgiven. In other words, if, if I've gone past just being tempted and I've actually committed the sin, then this process is going to lead to the forgiveness of my sins too because I'm confessing, praying, doing the things that are necessary to have the forgiveness of sins. So my answer to Debbie would be, although we're very sympathetic with the very hard conditions she's dealing with, my explanation to her would be is the reason why elders in the Church of Christ are not literally anointing people with oil to heal them from physical infirmities because I don't think this passage is talking about physical infirmities. I think it's talking about spiritual problems. Which are, in fact, even we may be in dire physical conditions, but the spiritual well-being of our soul is much more important. I think that's right. So I, I think that you know that's what we're ultimately concerned about because all of us are going to get sick and die at some point. If something else doesn't take us, uh, ultimately... Uh, uh, some sort of physical affirmity will cost us our lives. And it can't be stopped. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. So if, if, if this passage in, in James 5 was talking about physical problems, then if we follow that procedure, you, you could live forever. Every time you got sick, every time some new uh, infirmity afflicted you, call for the elders, have them anoint you with oil. Because the promised result is guaranteed. The prayer of faith will raise him up. Yeah. So, you know, if that was talking about physical things, think about the complication you'd have because that would indicate that if you followed the procedure over and over again, you could live indefinitely. Okay. And that's not the case. Well, and, uh, yeah, that's true. And it's interesting. Uh, there may be a divergent opinion in the chat room. John says, would spiritual trials without the commission of sins be considered a sickness? Just a thought regarding that position. It's a very interesting explanation, he goes on to say, of the passage, however. He'll have to look into it in greater detail. So perhaps uh, an uh, interpretation that John is not familiar with. And uh, the question is, though, if you are just struggling and uh, going through temptation, is that considered a spiritual sickness? Well, and I haven't I haven't done a word study on the word. It might be interesting to look at the word and see whether the word is suggesting just a weakness, of, you know, uh, an infirmity of some kind, a spiritual infirmity of some kind. If I'm feeling weak, then I am in a in a spiritually dangerous situation. Troy uh, sends an email. And he says the prayer is the anointing, and he quotes the verse again. Pray over him, anointing him in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith. It goes on. So he's saying that the prayer is the anointing. The prayer is the conferring of the blessing. All right. Um, and uh, Monty is behind the controls for the second week in the row tonight. And, Monty, you uh, you have an, uh, an interpretation here, an interesting uh, observation. Well, um, 
talking about the suffering and comparing that is it a physical suffering or a spiritual suffering. There was something going on in my life recently. Uh, uh, won't go into the details of it, but physically I was suffering because of the turmoil that was going on in my life. And I went and talked to the elders about it and the fact that I was able to speak to them about it, bring it to their attention and get their wisdom and advice for it comforted me a great deal because afterward I felt like a great load had been lifted off my shoulders that I wasn't the only one having to carry this burden now. I could share it with wise men, wise spiritually minded men and get good righteous advice from them and it was, I was relieved from it. So in effect, the prayer that was made at that time, I was anointed and that is that it was a blessing, spiritual prayer, blessing. I was blessed spiritually by it and in effect healed of the burden that was upon me at that time. Okay, interesting. Uh, the word that you meant, the referencing here uh, that is translated sick, uh, the definition of it from strong is uh, that it, you could be weak, infirm, uh, feeble, uh, and so... So a spiritual feebleness or, or weakness. weakness to be made weak. So yeah. the word means weak or feeble, and that would fit. It, uh, and so in answer to John's question, yeah, I think probably that would be a reasonable explanation definition of, yeah. of that word sickness in the King James Version. All right. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, we'll take a break, and uh, we'll still be open to your thoughts along this line uh, in regards to Debbie's question, and uh, we'll roll into uh, the next uh, question from Wade about missing uh, the assembly Real for quick, sporting John, events. Before we go to that break, John in the chat room has done a little research for us. He says the word sick in James 5.15 is very similar to the word sickly in 1 Corinthians 11.30, which reads... For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. I believe that word is uh, a related word. So uh, struggling spiritually, I think, yeah. is the idea. Or just weak. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll get your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? The College View Church is still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible, and they're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. No act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. Forget injuries, never forget kindnesses. Character is like a tree and reputation like its shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. When the character of a man is not clear to you, look at his friends. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Man, I wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we are back on the program tonight as we take various questions from our listeners have been submitted over time, and we'll take your question as well at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Henry responds to the discussion and says you can always, you can never have too much prayer. We'd agree with that. Even uh, with spiritual, for I mean, for physical uh, concerns as well, spiritual and physical concerns, uh, we just believe that uh, perhaps the passage in, Math, in James chapter 5 is talking about the spiritual concerns. Yeah, I, th- we're just dealing with that context in particular because the question is why aren't we, why aren't we literally anointing people with oil? Right. And uh, the reason is because I think it's a spiritual passage. I don't think it's intended to be taken literally. Yeah. It just it, to me the passage makes much better sense if you analyze it as addressing spiritual uh, issues, not physical issues. Right. Okay. All right. Our second question was from Wade, who says this is the full gist of his question, and it's not much different than what I sent out. Recently, a question has come up about skipping worship services to go to a high school sporting event. I know your view, but I thought this might be a good discussion for the virtual Bible study. Apparently, there are different views that are held by faithful brethren. I would like a good discussion to be able to get all sides. Okay. Now, where do we start with that one? Uh, we got an email from uh, from Daniel in Vermont. Yeah, Daniel uh, references Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. The main one is uh, for not a, uh, forsaking the assembly. He references Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Where is the exception in the verse for missing if we have a sporting event? I, lately, myself, have been missing Wednesdays due to work requirements of travel and, the, and there not being a faithful congregation around where I travel to. I feel the utmost remorse for this. It's either this job or unemployment. I try to spend the time while out of town. 
uh, the same time and night dedicated to study on my own, I still can't justify me missing. I think the sports have been uh, a process in pulling us away from God. I think if you truly apply God in your hearts, this will be an easy answer of, no, I won't miss services for such a thing. We see this all the time when we shouldn't. More scriptures, John 14, 15, 15, 14, Matthew 23, 37, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and John 7, 21 through 23. Yeah, I, I really think it. I mean, of course, we're, we're instructed in Hebrews 10.25, as Daniel mentioned, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, so we're commanded to assemble. Uh, and but, but, you know, the question is, is there... First question is, is there ever any justification for missing any worship service? You know, for instance, uh, I got a 103 fever, and I'm just vomiting, you know, every 15 minutes. Yeah. Should I come to services anyway, or is yeah. it justified to stay home because I'm so sick? Uh, I, I think everybody would agree that you're not forsaking the assembling yeah. if you stay home for a legitimate reason like that. Yeah. Uh, now, where? So then start bringing the line closer to the question. What about something else? What about an, uh, a job situation that's inescapable? Uh, I've got I got scheduled to work here. I try my best to avoid having to work at appointed times of worship and Bible study, but there's an emergency. I work for the electric company, and there's 10,000 people without lights right now, and they've told me I've got to stay over until we get everybody's lights restored. You know, it's, it's an emergency situation. Is that justified? Well, you've got to be careful about these, uh, these hypothetical situations because you can't get yourself in a bind. But, I mean, these are literal, I mean, these are... You know, these are, could really happen in life. Maybe you're a doctor and you're on your way to services, and you get a call that somebody's being rushed to your your office because they're dying. Know, they're dying. Or right. you're on your way to services and uh, you see someone. You happen upon a car wreck. Right, and there's someone that laying there. I mean, this is not. I, I've been on my way to services and I saw a man who'd been run over by a car. Uh, and and uh, so, do I just keep going to services? I got. I, I can't miss the services. Do I stop? And so assist? what we're saying is there are legitimate things. Whereby a person would would be excused with, and I, it, it's not unreasonable to say there are legitimate things that would certainly excuse a person from assembling. The general rule is we assemble, we don't miss the assembly, but there are things that might keep a person. I from think assembly. the key word there is forsaking, and I think that the the, yeah. the answer lies. I don't in think that you're word. forsaking the assembling if you stop to assist that man on the road. Right, uh, Monty, your your thoughts. Well, we know in the Old Testament that they were forbidden from doing work on the Sabbath, and even to the point they couldn't light a fire or things like that. But the Bible also tells us that if their ox was in the ditch, they could get it out. Because if the ox was required for them to plow their fields, do work, whatever, they were agricultural, more agricultural people than we are. And if the ox stays in this ditch too long, it's going to die. So they were allowed to do that, but that would have been an exception to the normal activity, and that would have been, as we was talking about, more of an emergency-type situation. It didn't Not say, their desire. It didn't say go push your ox in the ditch right. so you can go out and do other things in the process of getting your ox out. Right. But, so God understands that there are going to be circumstances that arise that require immediate attention, but... The idea of forsaking is I'm making a conscious choice that I want to not be at worship as opposed to going to a sporting event or something like that. So, well, now, this, but this is the heart of the question, Monty. So we we're, we're not saying that there wouldn't. The first point we're making here is that obviously there are some things that would prevent a person from being able to assemble, and they're legitimate and understandable, and nobody is nobody has a problem with that. The, the question is when it becomes matters of choice choose one thing in other words i normally go to church but i like to go to the ball game and now i'm confronted with a conflict of of my interests my one interest is to go to to worship my other interest is to go to the ball game what happens when i face this conflict of priorities both things are a priority to me the in but i don't have to go to the ball game i mean the ball game is an optional thing but if and so what I'm saying is if, if my priority to worship yields to my interest in going to the ball game, then I have clearly indicated what my highest priority is. My highest priority is not worship. It's the ball game. Right. And I don't want to be making that statement to the Lord. Right. So we're not talking about things sort of out beyond your control. We're talking about things that are within your power to choose. 
And and by making the choice, you are actually exposing where your heart is. And I think that was the gist of Daniel's answer. All right, let's get into the question then. Uh, what about, uh, and Daniel references uh, working, what about missing services to work? Monty, your thoughts on that? Well, for the last great number of years in my working career, every place that I've went to go get a job, I've made it clear up front that Sundays was not available work time for me. Uh, I mean, it's like if I go to the grocery store to buy a slab of bacon and they don't have bacon, I can't buy it. So to me, it's the same kind of process. If they want me to work on Sunday, I don't have any time available to sell them on Sunday, so it's not going to happen. I was a general manager at a shop one time and was demoted back to a machine over that. Uh, Actually, I was in a partnership in a business one time, and the business wound up failing because the partnership fell apart because I wouldn't work on Sundays. Uh, I got to the point I got tired of fighting with them about it. I told them, fine, I'll quit. You all take care of it because we're not going to fight about this every week. They wanted me to give up being a Christian for five years till we got the business on its feet good, and then I could go worship all I wanted. But I told them up front that that wasn't going to happen, and then we fought about it, and I finally gave up with them. But the point is, where's our commitment? Uh, work, we do have to work. God commands us to work. But I, for the most part, we can avoid working in a conflict with worship. Like we talked about earlier, there may be occasions when we can't, but it, was, it wasn't because we didn't try to avoid it. It's because yeah. that was the best we could do. I'm concerned, though, when some Christians don't even try right. to avoid the conflict. You know, I've, I've, some of the young people, uh, I've made this point, you know, they go get a, a job at a fast food restaurant, and they start missing services because they're working at McDonald's or Burger King. And my point to them has been is if you will talk to your manager and tell them, I really need to be off on Wednesday nights for Bible study and, of course, on Sunday for worship. I tell you what, if you'll make sure that I'm off on Wednesday nights and Sundays, I'll work any Friday and Saturday night you want. I'll work every Friday night and Saturday night if I can have Wednesday and Sunday off. I'm going to tell you, I really believe that every manager at a fast food restaurant would do backflips to make a deal like that. Well, the thing, the thing about they, most they can't, of these young people working, they're not supporting a household. They're not. They don't. It, their financial life is not going to be disrupted terribly if they're not working. They're, they don't have children that's not going to eat if they're not working. Their job is just primarily these teenagers we're talking about is so they'll have spending money. Yep. It's not an essential thing. It's a luxury thing. They could give up on that luxury in order to serve God if that was their priority. And, but even at that, I agree with you, Monty. But even at that. What concerns me is that they're not even asking. They're not even making. They're not trying. They're not trying to, to make an arrangement so that they can be at the services. Right. And so, again, what we're saying here, and when you boil that all down, what we're saying here is that your approach to these matters really exposes your heart. Yes. It tells what's important to you. It it, it shows where your priorities are. And, and that's what really matters. If I miss services to go to the ball game, then the ball game was more important to me than the services. Yeah, and we're not talking about not talking about the ball game, talking about other situations. There's going to be some judgment here yeah. as to as to how I handle certain situations. Do I what you know? What do I do there? Henry in uh, England says, uh, obviously there are times when we can't. I have an autistic son, and some days we will have uh, home church as he would distract the whole meeting otherwise, uh, but still go in the evening uh, if they can. So, sure, and that's, that's legitimate. Uh, right. That's right. legitimate. We understand uh, that. And uh, Guest 133 talks about missing for services or from some emergency would be sort of an incidental thing. Yeah, you know, that, that, that uh, wasn't necessarily your... You didn't plan it. But if I plan, you know, if I make a conscious choice one over the other, then you can't say it was incidental. In other words... To me, choosing to go to the ball game over going to worship is not incidental. Uh, yes, one thirty-three says, you know, maybe a work emergency would be incidental. I agree, but if I make a choice to go to the ball game on Sunday rather than go to church on Sunday, then that's not incidental. That's purposeful. Uh, then it's in a different league. Henry says, forsaking means to leave it in the lurch. Also, you could say, of uh, a coal out of a fire, does it die or keep a light as when it is in the grate? And so uh, he stressed the importance of being together with yeah, other Christians. And, and, and forsaking means to, you know, to, to, to turn your back and leave it. Uh, Kevin makes an interesting observation. He said, I can make a lot of money, a lot more money, if I would work on Wednesday nights and Sundays. However, my decision to assemble will keep that from ever happening. Monty, they'd pay you twice as much to work on Sunday, wouldn't they? 
Well, Some, where sometimes. I work, they wouldn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just work for a bad place. <laughs> well, but anyway, I know a guy years ago at a congregation where I was at who worked at a big uh, unionized shop up in Nashville. Actually, it was the Ford Glass Plant. And according to their union contract, they couldn't be forced to work Sunday if they had worked the five previous days to that, is my understanding of it. He would miss one of those previous days so that he could say, I had to work, they made me work, because he got triple time on Sunday. Triple time. Yeah, where otherwise, the other days, it was just regular straight time. So he made a, he put himself in a position. You know, that plant went out of business. That plant went out of business, Money. That might be why they had a contract like that with their workers. Well, the thing about him is he made a conscious decision earlier in the week to miss work so that he could be forced. So technically, he wasn't forced. He He was forsaken. He was forsaken. And again, again, and every Christian is going to make, have to make their decisions about this, but be honest about what's going on. I think that's the key. Guest 46 says, the pressure with the ball games is when coach says your child cannot play in other games if they miss for services. It is uh, too bad society in this area does not allow for worship services. But remember, if your actions are teaching your, uh, your, your, actions are teaching your children what is important, we're crying out loud. It's a ball game. It's a child's ball game. Yeah. And you know, you know, we, we love baseball, Jacob. We we were all into the baseball thing when yep. you were a kid. Yep. But you know what you're teaching your kids? I mean, do you, any of those kids that played Little League with us, you see them playing Major League Baseball these nope, days? I never have. I uh, did see one. But. Well, he wasn't in our Little he League. I know. League. Yeah. Okay. okay. But, uh, yeah, one one kid from our uh, – one kid out of the thousands in our town that played Probably baseball. Probably in the whole state. But, yeah, maybe one kid out of the whole state made the, made it to the majors. We knew yeah. him. But uh, it's it's a game. What's way more important than your kid being at that game is your kid learning yeah. priorities, religious, spiritual priorities are way more. And, and parents need to, uh, to to keep things in the right perspective. This is a game. If the coach says you're never going to play another game in your life, oh, Oh well. Go get an, go get on another team. Go do something else. Start to basket it's not weaving. The, it's not the end of the world, yeah. but it could be the end of the, uh, of a child's spiritual well being right. if you teach them to compromise right. on deals like that. Right. And wouldn't you hate to be uh, you know, your children to be grown and you sit back and wonder what went wrong? Yeah. And it was that ball game on Wednesday night. Yeah. Well, they they did get ahead. The but, problem uh, is the, we teach our children that there's other things more important than God. And, and we don't mean to be doing that because at the time the ball game seems important and it's just going to be this one game or just this one series of games, maybe the state tournament or whatever, how that works. But the point is our children are, are not stupid. And if we teach them, well, we can miss worship for this, this important ball game. Well, that's important to us right now. But what we're teaching them is whatever we decide is important, we can miss worship for. Yeah. Maybe it's for triple time on Sundays. Yeah. Um, for whatever I mean, you, whatever is important to you know, I like to go hunting and fishing, but I don't miss worship for it. Right. But that's important to me. That would make it okay. And that's the problem is we're teaching our children that whatever is important to you is more important than God. You're, te- you're teaching a spirit of compromise, and I tell you what, kids can pick up on that faster than anything. They learn to compromise. And we're getting up, we're getting revved up on a soapbox here. But here's the other argument: that well, we made a commitment to the ball team. I had I had an elder in the church one time. His son miss services to play football and i asked him about it. i said where's where's your son and he said well he made a commitment that he was going to play on this team of course this the boy was a christian he'd made a commitment to the lord long before that yeah it was okay to forsake the Which commitment. commitment's most important yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's crazy that, crazy yeah. uh um, troy sends an email and says matthew six thirty three is one of the main passages to consider we remember it seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness are you sinking God first in your decisions? And that, that really is the question. And I, I want to comment on Daniel's before uh, answer before we go to our break. Uh, Daniel says he misses uh, for work when he's traveling. And he adds, I can't justify me missing. And I would caution Daniel about that. Right, wrong, or uh, otherwise, missing the services. If you can't justify it in your mind, you need to stop. Yeah, that's, because that's you can't sin. do it if you can't if if it's violating your conscience, you've got to take care of that. Romans fourteen verse twenty three. Right. So I don't know the situation, Daniel, whether or not your missing would be justified, but if you can't justify it in your mind, uh, then you need to make some other arrangements. Exactly. All right. All right. We're coming up on Chris's question. Chris is listening in England tonight, and it's way early in the wee small hours. Oh, and of the he morning. has he has stuck with us, so he can. Yeah, we, we're going to get to his question. All right, we'll do that when we get back from this break. All right, uh, don't go anywhere. The discussion continues right after this.
Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Christians are often disappointed and discouraged when they fail to convince their unbelieving friends and relatives to accept the truth from the Scriptures. They ask questions like, how can they ignore the evidence? And, it's so obvious, why can't they see it? These are good questions. We understand your frustration. We agree. It's not logical for people to ignore the abundance of available proof. But this is not a new phenomenon. Do you remember the occasion when Judas brought a band of armed men to arrest Jesus? Peter, thinking to defend Jesus with force, drew out his sword. Each of the gospel writers describe him cutting off the ear of Malchus, a servant of the high priest. Jesus rebuked Peter, and Luke tells us that he proceeded to heal the severed ear. You can read about that in Luke chapter 22, verse 51. Think about that for a minute. In the presence of this mob of angry conspirators, Jesus worked a miracle. They saw it, yet still they proceeded to participate in the events that led to the unjust murder of God's own son. We remind you of this simply to illustrate that prejudiced men have always ignored evidence that contradicts their predetermined positions. If the scribes and Pharisees could see the many miracles of Jesus and still call for his crucifixion, we should not be too surprised when men today reject the plain truths of God's word. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. And we welcome you back on the program tonight. Uh, we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Podcast a recent sermon there at our website as well. We're taking various listener questions on the program tonight. All right, we're to the question that comes from Chris in the chat room. He's using the handle Henry P. tonight, but uh, his name is Chris. He's from uh, uh, Cornwall. Where, where Cornwall. Cornwall in, in the U.K. And uh, here's the longer version of the question he asked. He says, I don't know if you know what is happening over the pond, but maybe these things uh, to discuss next. I don't. Uh, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, is trying to separate church and state here. To not have bishops in the House of Lords, which amends law, rather than makes them. He did a survey arguing that we are becoming more secular, 72% going down to 53% of people saying that they would be Christian. Also arguing that those professing widely do not know the basic facts about Christianity. So in other words, Dawkins is trying to say England, Britain is not a, a Christian nation anymore. Therefore, there should be no reference to religion in, in political right. uh, or governmental activities. He says, also an ex-Archbishop of Canterbury said that we should be more willing to die for our faith with the growing tide of opposition we face, uh, such as bread and, breakfast, bread and breakfast owners being forced to allow same-sex couples to share a room, the forbidding of wearing of crosses or pledge rings to some students, or airline hospital workers, the removal of prayers from council meetings. So he says, here's some questions. Should there be a separation between church and state? What should the measure of being a Christian be? B, is it a, a base set of knowledge, which I would refute, or a standard of relationship with God? Do we really know what persecution is? Surely it's more than your life being inconvenienced. Would we be separated to die for our faith? Well, excuse me, would we be prepared to die for our faith, which I would? My problem is if you pointed the gun at my daughter and told me to renounce my faith, I'd have to think about that. So those were, first of all, let's deal with this question. Should there be? A separation between church and state. I got to tell you, in, in, in my in my opinion, I, I'm not too torn up about the fact that uh, the government doesn't want to be in the religion business. I don't want them in the religion business. I don't want them teaching my children. You know, I, I I don't mind the fact, for instance, that they don't teach religion in the public schools. I don't want them teaching religion yeah. to my children. I'll, I'll take care of that. Let them teach the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and and I'll teach them. The things of God—that's my job, and I and, and I don't trust them to do it anyway. All right, Henry uh, or Chris has stayed up till two forty in the morning uh, to help with this discussion. So, Chris, if you've got anything to add to your initial email and your initial questions, we'd welcome uh, those uh, thoughts. Uh, you know, the the the, the church is uh, is not a physical uh, kingdom; it is a spiritual one, and so there would be no authority for uh, a physical kingdom that would be. You know anything spiritual? So you're saying you know, the Lord never intended to to 
to interject into religion, I mean, interject, inter, interject into government his religious practices. In other words, sort of uh, any kind of force or anything by. Yeah. I, again, I, my view on that is, you know, people get people here in the United States. Uh, again, he's given us a little insight into things in Britain, but here in the United States, people get all tore up about the fact that. Uh, the, the, the more politically liberal in our society argue that there's got to be a very dramatic separation of church and state to the point that you can't even, maybe our coins say in God we trust, they want to get God off of our coins. I, I think that's way overboard and unnecessary, but, but on the other hand... <laughs> it's not true yeah, it's, when it's it, on yeah, our it's money. <laughs> our nation doesn't trust God. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I just don't get wound up about that because, I, I, like I said, I don't want government in the religion business anyway because they're going to government does a bad job of, of everything they touch. Right. And so they, I don't want them teaching my kids in school. I, I don't care. I don't even really care that. I, I think it says something about the way our society is going. But you know, here when they ban prayer in the public schools. I don't want them praying with my kids anyway in the public school. I don't, you know, I, I don't think they, I don't think that they are going to be doing it properly. They're not the kind of people that I want to be teaching prayer to my children, and so uh, those kind of things don't right. really upset me. All right, uh, Chris asked the question, but can we pray before government business or have the right to put spiritual points as arguments? Well, you know. To me, it's somewhat of a comfort that our, our government still prays before uh, they begin their legislative se- session. But you think about it. I mean, I don't think the prayer gets much uh, above the ceiling because a lot of times it's uh, prayers uh, offered by uh, women clergy or clergy members who are part of a congregation that, or an organization that uh, accepts homosexuals and other things that are, I mean, clearly in error. They're not uh, faithful to God. So what good does it have Having somebody up there who doesn't even, maybe doesn't even believe in Christ uh, leading a prayer. I mean, it's, does God hear that? I mean, it, maybe it is a, somewhat of a comfort to me to know that people still think about God. But I mean, is the prayer any good? Uh, I don't think so either. But in in his second part of his comment, is it right to to put spiritual points as arguments? And I think we should be able to make spiritual. For instance. Uh, let's say they're debating homosexual laws marriage. about homosexual marriage or abortion, then, yeah, let us make our points that we believe, you know, our moral our moral values based upon spiritual truths. Uh, those arguments, we should be able to make those arguments, and they should register. Uh, so in that sense, you know, we want the government to be able to acknowledge where we're coming from in regards to those kinds of moral questions. Okay. Uh, he goes on to ask, what should be the measure of a Christian? In other words, Richard Dawkins said that he didn't think that very many Christians would even know the, the many. He didn't think many who call themselves Christians would even know the basic facts about Christianity. Uh, Dawkins is probably right about that. By the way, uh, we couldn't argue with him on that point. Yeah, uh, and and Chris is asking. Is that knowing, knowing a, a basic set of knowledge? Is that what makes a person a Christian, or is it the right the relationship with God? Well, it's obviously a relationship with God, but that relationship with God has to be based upon knowledge and understanding. Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I, I can't have faith without basic knowledge. I can't have true faith. I can't have the faith that the Bible says will save my soul without it coming from a base of knowledge garnered from the word of God. So, yeah, you got to know, it, you can't be faithful to God and have a relationship with him without some basic knowledge. Here's uh, here's how it gets interesting when the church and state are not separated. Uh, uh, Chris says, the prime minister has the last say about who the new head of the Church of England will be, even though he is pro-gay marriage. Uh, so he pointed out that most didn't know the four uh, gospel names. That's Richard Dawkins. But the yeah. prime minister is going to determine who the head of the yeah. Church of England is. Did, did, and did you hear what, agree. It, and so did you hear what I was saying about yeah. I really don't want the government in the religion business because yeah. they're going to mess they're going to mess up everything they touch messes up so they're going to mess that up too. All right, the more important question uh, I think from Chris is uh, what about persecution? Do we really know what that is? And are we prepared to die for our faith? I, I don't think that many people, at least in our realm of contact, know very much about persecution. There were some places in in the world even today where people are are severely persecuted for their religious beliefs. 
it's not true here. We've never faced that sort of thing, and I don't think probably Chris in England has either. Yeah. Uh, yet, but that's not to say it won't come. Right. And and his question uh, certainly true persecution is more than just being inconvenienced. But his real question is, would we be prepared to die for our faith? And all of us, I, he says he he would he would say yes. But what if you challenge him about you know uh, if you won't renounce your faith, I'll shoot your daughter. That's a tougher question. We all want to say, yeah, I could pass that test, but we've never had that test applied. So uh, what we need to be doing in the meanwhile, and, until and unless that happens, is we need to be praying, studying, growing stronger spiritually so that we could pass the test if it's ever put to us. Okay. All right. We need to take a break. When we get back, we'll go to the top of the hour with Vernon's question about souls. Has God already created souls to people who are yet to be born? And Rex's question about falling from grace and specifically about Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Those are going to be good questions. Yeah. Thanks, gonna... thanks, Chris, for your question. And from thanks England. for staying with us, Chris. We're glad that you stayed with us tonight. If you've got anything else you want to add during the break, uh, Chris, we'll, we'll take that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Do you remember when churches taught the truth in a straightforward and direct way with no sugarcoating? Can you recall when homosexuality was plainly condemned and unscriptural divorce and remarriage was not tolerated? Can you think back to a time when you heard hard sermons on moral issues like dancing, immodest dress, and filthy movies? Do you long for a return to the kind of teaching and preaching that you heard 30 or 40 years ago? The College View Church is trying hard to maintain the same moral principles that have been associated with God's people throughout the ages. They want to hold the line against the drifting that is characterized in so many churches today. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new poll found that 72% of so-called millennials, that's those who are ages 18 through 29 years old, call themselves spiritual but not religious. And while 65% of those surveys called themselves Christians, they rarely pray, read the Bible, or go to church. Fewer than half say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That research is via LifeWay research. In the Word of God, Luke 6, verse 46 says, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. We welcome you back as we talk about listener questions on the program tonight. The next up is uh, from Vernon. Vernon's question was short and to the point. Are we all right? We're good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Vernon's question, short and to the point, has God already created all souls that will be given to all people yet to be born, or are they created at the time of conception? I can tell you, I'm not sure I've ever heard that question posed before, um, and I'm not 100% sure the Bible gives the answer to that question, but we did come up with a verse that may apply, Jacob. Right. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So God says to Jeremiah, he knew him before he was formed in the belly or womb. Now, would that imply that he was a spirit being before before the the, the physical body Not being, was formed? necessarily. Okay, go ahead. Not necessarily, and uh, th this appears to be a uh, the physical forming in the womb that he's referencing. He knew him before he formed him in the womb. He could have had foreknowledge of who Isaiah would or Jeremiah would be. Yeah, yeah. And Monty, you suggested what? Well, what I was suggesting that is that at the moment of initial conception, when that first two cells came together, we really weren't very much of a form at that point, and we would think of the forming taking place as we grew in the womb and he could be saying before you were fully formed before you were fully formed in the womb or you might argue that you weren't fully formed or weren't formed yet until you were fully formed in the womb so I, you know we could look at that more than one way all right uh guest 133 has wondered about that question uh in younger years and john in uh, oklahoma John can be found at scripturalway.org on tuesday nights at 7:30 by the way he says there's a jewish belief he believes that uh, tells of uh, a hall of souls filled with all the souls which are yet to be born. Um, yeah, and again, I don't know where, the, where they would find that in the scriptures, but apparently there is some tradition along that line. Uh, uh, Henry, or Chris, mentions, is this an allusion to Levi or Aaron being in Abraham's loins in Hebrews? Uh, um, 
in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, when it's talking about Melchizedek, when Abraham, when Melchizedek went out to meet Abraham returning from the battle with the kings where he had been victorious, and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, uh, he says, without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. But here men die receive tithes, but there he received them of whom it is written that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. In other words, the point is Melchizedek was greater because Abraham paid tithes to him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Again, indicating the superiority of Melchizedek in that in that arrangement. But the, the reference that, that Chris is uh, suggesting maybe is that Levi was still in the wombs of Abraham. Well, Levi would have been a great-grandson of Abraham. And it says he's still in his loins. I, I don't know. I, don't I think know it may be figurative there. Uh, well, that, I mean, that it seems more figurative yeah, speech to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I don't know. I, so, I got, so we have no we have no definitive answer. Yeah, I, I don't know that the Bible really answers that. That one verse in Jeremiah one verse five is as close as I think I could get to that, and I, I don't think that necessarily proves it at all. Okay. So we're, Sorry, we're have Vernon. To, Vernon, we're probably yeah, going to have to leave you, that in the we'll room. We'll give of you Arden. your money back. Yeah. What, what is it? <laughs> I knew a preacher who always used to reference Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong unto the Lord. How does it say that? Yeah. Uh, but the things that are revealed are for us. Yeah. How does it say? I'm going to read for our that. Children, I think. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says. Well, if I can find it here. Uh, it says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And I think maybe that's one of the things not revealed. So and I don't belong. know that we, we need, don't need to know. It's not, not, yeah, it's not necessary. And maybe we can ask someday. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Rex has a question about falling from grace, and that's going to take the rest of our program. Yeah, well, we're going to have to hurry to get it. Uh, Kevin long... says, Jeremiah could have simply been referring to the moment uh, just before conception. God would certainly know what you were going to look like and be like just before the chromosomes come together. Okay. Uh, Henry or Chris says, if we are pre-existent before birth, uh, then we are alive, and when uh, and when do we fall? Well, we'll talk, we can talk about that on another program. Uh, Chris may be referring to uh, inherited depravity and being born in sin. We don't believe in, in that uh, doctrine. Uh, we, would, we don't believe we fall until we become old enough uh, to know God's will, and uh, we fail to do it. And Paul, Paul referenced uh, that uh, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 9. He was alive once without the law, but when the law came, he re- the sin revived and he died. Okay, good. Okay. All right, I got uh, real quickly, let me read this longer question from Rex. It's rather longer, but you get an idea of where he's coming from. Could you please address Galatians 5, 4? about falling from grace. You seem to mention it in reference to your program earlier. It seems to me that your interpretation of it might be wrong. If you don't mind, could you please address this verse exegetically on your program? Uh, please, could you read attached documents and then comment on one of your programs? Do you exegetically anything? I, I, can't, I can't say that word. Well, you Exe- don't do that, do you? Well, we're going to try to exegete this thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, Galatians 5, 4 says, You have fallen from grace. This shows you can receive God's grace and then fall. Quite true, but what kind of grace and in what context? These words are addressed to a particular group, as the context shows. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. Verse 4, you have been severed from from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So in what way are those seeking to be justified by law fallen from grace? The correspondent assumes but does not prove that to fall from grace proves that you once received saving grace. Evidently, the same assumption would follow that the one who is severed from Christ was once joined to him savingly. Aside from the contradictions such a position creates with the plain assertions of Scripture elsewhere, the fact of the matter is Paul is addressing those who were seeking to add to faith in Christ the single act of obedience encompassed in circumcision. Uh... I'm, I'm, I'm getting confused. He's he, saying you could be, you could not be joined to Christ and be severed from Christ. He's saying that if you're seeking, what he's saying is if you're seeking to be justified by keeping the Old Testament law of Moses, then you have severed yourself from the opportunity to, to enjoy salvation in Christ Jesus. Not that you ever had that salvation, but you, by seeking to be justified by the yourself. law, you have made it so that you are not. Uh, 
privilege to partake of the salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ. You have severed yourself mm-hmm. in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Now, he, it's interesting that he use, he changes wording there because Galatians 5, 4 doesn't say that you're severed from. It says you're fallen from. At least the King James Version says. Oh, yeah. It says, uh, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now, we understand that it was a big problem in the first century churches. Judaizing teachers were telling the Gentile converts, you have got to be circumcised. You've got to keep various aspects of the Old Testament law of Moses. Paul was saying, for any in Christ who are trying to add that regulation and make that stipulation, trying to be justified by, by requiring and keeping certain elements of the Old Testament law, that, that you make Christ of no effect, you have fallen from grace. But this is a, this is a passage... Uh, that is addressed to Christians. And and the old point that we've always made from Galatians 5, verse 4, is that you can't fall from something that you have never been in. Right. And uh, verse 1, Galatians 5, verse 1, uh, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Free from what? And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And then he goes on to say what that bondage would be. If you let them put this on you, that you've got to keep parts of the Old Testament law... You're getting entangled in that bondage again, and you'll fall from grace. These people were in grace, and they were in danger of falling from grace. You know, we've made the point before, uh, like being in a boat. You can't fall out of a boat. You can't fall from a boat that you weren't in first. You can't fall from grace unless you were first in grace. So I think that the, uh, this forwarded message that Rex has sent us, it, which suggests that a different interpretation of Galatians 5, I think, is really faulty. Yeah, it is, and it's not the only passage. I mean, we're not taking, uh, we don't have to have this passage alone to teach that. Paul was concerned that he could fall from grace in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He buffeted his body, lest he should be a castaway. He said said to take a view that you can fall from grace uh, causes contradictions with plain assertions of Scripture. I disagree. I think the plain assertions of Scripture yeah. elsewhere are that you can fall to from grace. To say you can't fall from grace forces these contradictions. Yeah, look, look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled therein again and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the better, than the beginning, rather. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. It's It's... There are plenty of other passages that say you can lose your salvation. So Galatians 5, verse 4, when interpreted the way that we're interpreting it, harmonizes completely with the other passages of Scripture. Monty, your thoughts? Did I understand in the email that he sent that he was saying that because their knowledge was not complete or something to that effect that they weren't truly Christians yet, so therefore they couldn't fall for grace? Is that what he was trying to say? No, I didn't get that, Monty. I, I didn't yeah. see that. In oh, okay. Hmm, interesting. Well, what I was going to say, if, if that was... I must have misunderstood, but if that's what he was trying to say, then it might be that none of us could ever really be Christians because I don't believe any of us are ever going to have a complete and perfect knowledge. I mean, we're not going to know everything that we could possibly learn from the Bible in a lifetime. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, John in uh, Oklahoma references another good passage along these lines. Hebrews 6, beginning verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. If those people aren't Christians, I don't know who would be, and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 6, If they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Uh says here you can fall away yeah, after yeah, you've experienced let me give things. you a little more from this email we're just out of time but he said they had these people he claims these people had not yet found peace with god by faith in christ jesus alone paul says they will never find it going down the path they are going they have been severed from christ not in the sense that they had been salvifically united to him and now he was failing to save them but that by seeking to be made justified by something other than faith alone they were severed from the only true source of life in in christ they have fallen from grace, not that they had been salvifically regenerated and justified and sanctified by grace already, and were now destroying that grace by their beliefs, but they have fallen away or failed of grace by proceeding down a path grace was never and will never mark out. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that he's saying the passage is talking about people who are never in grace. It, it clearly is talking about those who were in grace. Read the context. Okay.
if you disagree with that, uh, especially Rex, if you'd like to comment more, we'd uh, welcome your comments and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. If any of our listeners disagree with anything you've heard tonight, we would welcome your comments and we can uh, consider those uh, in a future program. Deb, good Great. thoughts tonight. Thanks for the good study. And, uh, Monty, thank you for being back again second week in a row. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for being here on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.